0: Welcome to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We hope the following program will challenge you and encourage you in your faith journey.
1: I miss their mess. I miss their noise. (laughs) I miss their rudeness and neediness. I miss their laughter. I miss my place in their lives. I mean, who am I? And what do I do with the rest of my life?
0: Well, we all have struggles when the kids move out. That's a quote from a book written by Jim Burns, and uh, that really identifies what some of those feelings are. Uh, we've got Jim in the studio with us today on Focus on the Family, and we're going to be unpacking this topic. Thanks for joining us. Your host is Focus President and author Jim Daly, and I'm John Fuller. John, I've got
2: one that's flown the coop, one that is perched and ready to do that. I'm just not sure
0: when. And then uh, where <laughs> you're are a you near, at? You're a near-empty nester. I'm a near-empty nester. Near empty yeah, nester. Yeah. Where are you at in this Well, we journey? are technically Empty nesters we have been for some time when the last kid moved out my mother in law moved in for a couple of years and she 's in uh, eternity now, so we are experiencing the fullness of an empty house and it's really kind of nice
2: it is and you know we do ask folks where are they at what do they want to hear and this is one of the topics that comes up pretty regularly now mm-hmm. that you know do more for the grandparenting age and stage and help us better understand how to How to live this part of our life a little Mm -hmm. better. So we're going to talk about it today, what empty nest looks like, maybe in the grandparenting stage for some, and just where we need to go from here. Um, I'm thinking of a friend whose kids, adult kids, live mostly around the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. I think he had three or four out of the six kids were right nearby. And then all of a sudden, in about a two- to three-week period, boom, they all left. And it wasn't organized or talked about. It just happened. And he talked to me about the trauma of that. Like, they didn't expect it, didn't anticipate it. It just happened. Mm. And it was a bit of a struggle for he and his wife to manage that and readapt, what do we do now? So Mm -hmm. we're going to get into all
0: this today with Jim Burns. Yeah, and Jim has been here before. He's always a popular guest. Our audience tells us uh, we like Jim. We like what he says. (laughs) Uh, He's the president of Homeward, an organization that really uh, advances the kingdom of God by educating and equipping uh, parents to build God honoring families. He and his wife Kathy have three girls. They've all left the nest, at least for now. And uh, he really captures a lot of his insights and experiences in a terrific book called Finding Joy in the Empty Nest Discover Purpose and Passion in the Next Phase of Life. We'll encourage you to give us a call for your copy, 800, the letter A in the word family or stop by FocusOnTheFamily.com slash broadcast.
3: Jim, welcome back to Focus. Good to have you. It is so good to be with both of you. And uh, (laughs) I think I first came, I was talking with you. We were talking about young kids. Yes, here we go. My kids have flown the coop. You all have these stories. And so now here we are talking about the empty nest. Yeah, it's fun. I mean, this is part of life, right? It, it really is. And it, it's a good part of life, but for a lot of people, it's it's a tough part of well, life. Well, it can as you be. Mentioned.
2: That transition story I talked about, sometimes yeah. it's kind of unplanned. You think the kids are going to be around. I know my brother and his wife, they kind of they sold their house in California, moved to Oregon to be near the grandkids yeah. of their adult daughter. And then they decided to move out to Tennessee. And so they thought, wow, okay, what do we do now? Sold the house, got an RV. And they're kind of tour around the country and spending more time in Tennessee so they can be near the grandkids. But everybody's got some kind of story in this space and stage of life. Yeah. Let me ask you, uh, with the empty nest territory, it can be daunting for some of our listeners and viewers. Um, it can take you by surprise, like we talked about, or it can even be planned. And then it still emotionally is really hard to manage. So what's that first idea that,
3: okay, this is going to be new. Do you fill it with stuff to do or what do you do? Well, I think a lot of us didn't prepare for it and all of a sudden it just happened. Right. So our daughter, Heidi, we drop her off at Cal Poly San Luis Obispo. It's in central California. And we were so busy getting things ready. It didn't dawn us that we were going to become empty nest. We honestly hadn't thought much about it. Yeah. We get in the car and Kathy and I didn't talk to each other for about half an hour. It was just, I was in my thoughts. I look at her. She's gazing out the window. And all of a sudden, I see a tear running down. Mm. And I said, you OK, babe? She goes, yeah, no, I, I'm OK. I said, do you want to stop in Santa Barbara? It's about 90 minutes. Yes. you want to stop in Santa Barbara <laughs> and get a lunch? Uh, which she would typically say what you just said. Yeah. And she said, no, I, I'm OK. i, don't, I don't, I'm not really hungry. And oh, you know, wow. we. Dr- I'll, I'll just drive all the way home. And we get home. And it was Quiet. Mm. And do you know that the next day is when I wrote that phrase, I miss their mess. I miss, I even said, I miss their rudeness, right? Oh, yeah. And I hadn't really missed their rudeness yet. But what we found was that we had to reinvent ourselves. And I found in writing uh, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest that there were so many people that felt loss and grief. And uh, I did all these focus groups during the pandemic of all times. And so it was on Zoom. Some of your friends were on that. And, uh, and I, I didn't see it coming. I mean, I saw fun things. And they would talk, John, like your situation. Oh, yeah, I don't have an empty nest. My, you know, my mother in law's back in. And all the complications understood that. But what I didn't hear was the depth of pain, what I call now the empty nest syndrome. And, you know, Kathy experienced it because she was the son And we had three planets going around her. Well, I'm a fourth planet, (laughs) and all of a (laughs) sudden she's the anchor. Exactly, she is in our home. And all of a sudden, she didn't have a place, so Uh she experienced, you know, a sense of, you know, even anxiety. And she's not an anxious person necessarily, uh, but some sadness. And I went, well, I don't have it. And then I found out later, wait, I just was going to work an hour earlier, staying an hour later. So Uh my empty nest syndrome pain was a different kind, but I still experienced it. And I, I see a lot of people experiencing that. And the people who do well in the empty nest are the people who figure out how to live in a different stage. And the people who don't do well, they're stuck. And I think one of the big principles that I love is just simply you know this principle, when your child leaves home and their life fills up with fresh ideas, you do the same. Mm, yeah. It's a rite of passage. Yeah. I was going to ask you this, and then I want to get
2: back to the empty nest syndrome point that you made but one of the articles i read a few years ago was the graying of divorce and it pointed to this substantial increase the fastest growing segment of the culture uh, filing for divorce were empty nesters you know and mostly women uh the wives and mothers because they go wow i feel like my job is done i really don't know you anymore we don't have much in common I think we're done with our marriage. Right. Speak to that issue cuz that really is yeah. the
3: dramatic outcome yeah. of what you're talking right. about. Right. And I think a lot of your listeners might be surprised at that that the greatest demographic, the largest demographic of getting a divorce right now is 50 and over. Yeah. What they call the graying a divorce. And I think part of it was they they had a lot of issues in their marriage and they held out for the kids. Yeah, you and just... then they looked up and they said, "Wow, I'm I don't want to work at it hard enough." The interesting thing is that when they do work at it, even in a troubled marriage, if they will persevere for, say, five years and they'll kind of reboot their marriage, 78% say that their marriage is better off. Yeah. So it's the people who, instead of giving up, mm-hmm. and and some people come into this empty nest, boy, they're limping and they're bruised in their marriages. But- The fact is, is you can reinvent. You were in love. So Mm -hmm. if you've lost that or if you've drifted, you can come back. You can make course corrections. And that's the good news of this. You know, it's important. Data is important. I like to look at data
2: because it shows a direction. And I remember, I think it was a University of Chicago study that showed, I don't know how they did this, but they created two research groups, both headed for divorce. But they uh, had the one cohort Commit to counseling and staying married for a period of time versus the others that were headed for divorce. They came back to them some years later, three, four years later. And 80% of those who fought for their marriages were doing better and happy. So 80% of the marriages survived is the point. In the other group, 80% 80% of the people who had divorced yeah. were extremely unhappy and said that it was a mistake. That
3: kind of supports what well, it does. It supports it, your point. It's mm-hmm. exactly that case. And again, it's hard because you got to yeah. lean into it. you got to rework. You know, if we were talking before the program, we were talking about working out. And, you know, and, and I do it once a year, no matter if I need it or not, right? <laughs> but, you know, it's not easy. But when you do, you get better. And you feel it. better. Yeah. So when you lean into your marriage and you work on your marriage, it makes sense. Yeah, no, that's good. Going back to emptiness syndrome,
2: you mentioned four things that were really helpful for you and yeah. I think others that you've encountered yeah. to deal with the the negativity of the emptiness syndrome. What are yeah.
3: they? Well, one is that you actually closed this chapter. Um, I was thinking back to rites of passages when I was younger, and I was speaking to a lot of kids and stuff. I'd always talk about the rite of passage. You know, 13 is a rite of passage. 16, you get your driver's license, all these things. How cool is that? But this is the rite of passage. And if you don't close the chapter and really fill and embrace this new empty nest, you're not going to do well. So the people who did well closed the chapter. Yeah, describe those that don't close that. What does that look like generally? Uh, They're they're still trying to be in control with their adult kids. What does that look like? What that looks like is they're giving them unsolicited advice, which is pretty much taken as (laughs) criticism because the kids are saying, you know, you don't trust me to be an adult. They're still trying to manage things that they can't manage anymore. And so to close the chapter says you take a deep breath and you say, you know what? I'm going to give my kids that passport to adulthood. They're not always acting like adults. I get it, and you know whatever. But I'm going to do that. I'm going to close that ch- this the chapter with my kids being in the home and open up a new chapter. And in that, there's some pretty exciting things that can happen. Yeah, e- exciting things if you're married. Exciting things if you're single. Exciting things in your faith. Yeah. But you've got to close the chapter. I want to I want to press
2: in on this a little yeah. bit because I think it's so critical. And I, you know, I think Gene and I experienced this with our two boys, yeah. and you know, we're still in the process of that empty yeah. nest uh, development, but you know, letting go, it sounds really easy. Yeah. Yeah. You just let go. Yeah. But it's hard because I think especially at 19, 20, 21, they're not going to make always the right decisions. Yeah. They're adulting, but they're learning to do it. Yeah. And our instinct as parents is to yeah. continue to control you know, did you get that doctor's appointment done? Right. You know, what's your oil light saying to you? Exactly. I, I, I mean, I'm i guilty of that. I just asked yeah. Troy that the other day. Is it yeah. time for some maintenance on your car? And he right. said, I think so. My right window's not going up. <laughs> I, oh, he probably, yeah. you know, we will go ahead and make the appointment, right? Yeah but um those are kind of the indicators that maybe you're taking too much as the parent
3: on no so just speak to that and that control feature well i think we're we're controlling and sometimes when we control we enable and we always mean well i mean when you ask you know the oil light my goodness that's a great question sometimes experience is a better teacher than advice and so he's gonna if he's gonna go around with the window not working, you know, but it's so hard. I mean, I have scars. You guys can see this here in the studio. I have scars on my tongue from having to bite my tongue with my kids. <laughs> but what happens is control turns into enabling. And the question we have to ask is, are we enabling dependency? Um, uh, where our kids are now dependent on us. I mean, I had a woman say to me, and I thought this was ironic on several levels. She said, you know, my 22-year-old, you know, isn't making his own pediatrician appointments. And (laughs) I'm like, well, A, why are you still making doctor's appointments? And two, Why is your kid going to a pediatrician (laughs) who's 22 years old? (laughs) But but again, the point being that we mean well. Our intentions are great, but we've got to... Give them the experience, sometimes that's even a negative experience, so they can learn from it. Here's a
2: hard uh, assessment that I've made, is, and Gene and I talk about this, is you've got to also let your kids experience valleys spiritually yeah. right. so right. that the Lord can show up. Right. I mean, if right. they just move from mountain mountaintop to mountaintop because you're making this bridge
3: over yeah. the valleys, you're going to have, a, in my opinion, a very shallow adult. You are. Kids have to move from dependence on you and you helping them through that process with church and, and spirituality to them becoming more independent in their faith. You know, our our daughter Christy wrote her senior year, she was a newspaper editor and she wrote, I had to disown my parents' faith to own my own faith. Yeah. Oh, that that shook us. But the truth is is now she's more involved in our church and she we live in the same area. So we go to the same church and you all know, go, Oh my goodness, she's she's out doing us and, you know, activities and things like that. But the fruit doesn't fall far from the tree, but you've got to allow that, even on the spiritual side. And this is a time for them to, you know, question issues or, you know, one of the phrases I like to use is that, you know, tolerance is a form of loving to this generation of millennials and Gen Zers. And so they're even dealing with biblical values that they know. And that's the values we taught, but they're straying from their faith. And sometimes they're violating our values. And it's really hard in there because, you know, it makes Christmas and Easter, especially in the empty nest, when they come back, it makes it for kind of interesting conversations. Mm -hmm. But we still have to allow them to find that. And And we see kids leaving the church a lot of times in the adult years, young adult years. But we see them coming back, too. You know, it's good news. We see them coming back when they're getting married, when they're making babies, when there's an issue. They need community. And all of a sudden, they go, you know what? My best community was when I was in youth group in junior high. And... I'm going to come back. No, I so appreciate that because I feel like the researchers, people
2: that you and I both know, tend to live in this, you know, wow situation where they're doing this research. But it is true. When you get married, when you have a child, you tend to go back to those things that you learned as a child. And, you know, thankfully, don't be too rattled if your 20-something is not engaged in church. I mean, it's a process. It is a
3: process and it's a marathon. It's not a sprint, but that's hard to do. I it mean, it is because I, I want to go, wh- I want to ask my kids every time, so what, wh- how's it going at church? How yeah. involved are but you? But the more controlling you are in that space, the
2: more they'll reject no. it. And it, I think the longer it will take for the Lord yeah. to woo them back. Yeah. So, man, let go and let them make those decisions. And we who
3: do some of that research, we whine and complain and it sounds so negative. But one of the good news things with Parents of millennials—they need to hear this. Is with this crowd when they get married, you know what the number one thing they want? This is the millennials. We haven't studied enough of the Gen Zers yet; they're too young. That'd be your your boys. Yeah, twenty, twenty-two. But, but with the millennials, the number one thing they want is a good marriage, and they want to be good parents. So, what does that say to something like Focus on the Family? Yeah, they're gonna—you know—a new generation. When when we were making babies and whatnot, we were listening to Focus on the Family, right? And a new generation needs the kind of conversations that happen here all the time because they need content and they they crave content and uh, they may not do it by listening to a
0: radio at the exact time they're going to listen to it the beautiful
3: ways with podcasts Yeah. yeah
0: this focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment
2: Hi, Jim Daly here. Today's culture deeply needs help. But in times like these, the light of Christ can shine even brighter. So be encouraged to share his light in this broken world. Listen to the Refocus with Jim Daly podcast. Without time limitations, I'll have deep, heartfelt discussions with fascinating guests who will encourage you to share God's grace, truth, and love. Check out the podcast at refocuswithjimdaily.com or wherever you get your podcasts.
1: Your marriage can be redeemed, even if the fights seem constant, even if there's been an affair, even if you haven't felt close in years. No matter how deep the wounds are, you can take a step toward healing them with a Hope Restored Marriage Intensive. Our biblically-based counseling will help you find the root of your problems and face challenges together. We'll talk with you, pray with you, and help you find out which program will work best. Call us at 1-866-875-2915.
0: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming.
2: Uh, Jim, I know we've covered one about closing the uh, chapter here. The other three
3: quickly. My producers are not going to let me go with that. (laughs) What are the four? Well, you know, we've got to choose to change um, our own attitude. What does that look like? Attitude makes a difference. It, It means... Part of that is what we were talking about, I think, in terms of how we relate to our kids. But we have to look at this as a positive time, that we're <laughs> going to take a clean break, and our attitude is okay for that, that we, we have to mourn it. You know, C.S. Lewis said this, that when you change, you experience loss. And it's one of the necessary losses mm-hmm. when your kids go in, you know, outside and you're now an empty nest. But so for us, we have to accept it. We have to embrace it and say, this is a new time. Here's the interesting fact, and you can Google me on this. The average person goes to the empty nest at forty-eight point nine. That was not our case. We were older, but forty-eight point nine. You're going to spend more time in the empty nest possibly than with your kids. I'm living that. Yeah. yeah. So with that, it's important to uh, to change your attitude toward. Wait, there can be good things. We can. We're we're going to miss our day to day activities with our kids, and we can now we have to reinvent that relationship. But we can also we can get more involved in church. I mean, I I found that in the empty nest. You know, Kathy's been teaching Bible study for fourteen years. And her empty nest ministry is stronger than it was when we had kids.
0: Interesting. And,
3: yeah. and so she has more time. Uh, she went out for coffee with a friend yesterday. She couldn't have done that at four o'clock in the afternoon because right, kids more were coming flexibility. Yeah. Yeah, sure. So there's a lot of things, but you have to embrace that and lean into that and see the positive because there's a whole lot of negative because you do yeah. have to grieve. And again, and these life. are four things that you've noticed in your own yeah.
2: path and others yeah. that you yeah. can beat the emptiness syndrome, as you call it, by applying these right, four right. things. They're, so they're
3: setting goals too. Yeah, and setting so, goals is next. So they set goals and, you know, we set individual goals, but Kathy and I also kind of created a dream list of what we want to do. And it wasn't just, let's go to Italy. I mean, that would be great. But it was also a dream list of what we wanted to make our life look like. And so the changing of goals, it was both good for us to do it individually and and separately. And then also, I think you make new friends in the empty nest. Mm-hmm. People kept coming back to me when I was asking people in kind of some of my research, and they kept saying that, you know, we have stronger friends. We can go out to dinner with our friends. The ones who are more social, And, and like my wife. She's an introvert. So she's not going to be the one who wants to go out seven nights a week, but she has deeper friendships because she leaned into that. And I find single empty nesters who say, you know what, I just didn't have time to get involved in church. And now I have a great group of women or a great group of men that I'm you know, biking together with, or I'm doing a Bible study with and whatnot. Those are the the issues that I think you get through that empty nest with. And again, I'm not saying it's easy. And I'm not saying it's actually even simple. I'm saying you have to put energy and effort into it. Yeah. And Jean, Jean's doing a great job. I think she is paving the way for
2: us. (laughs) But let me ask you, in that regard, you have a story in the book about Mike and Mary who struggled with this. And I think it's so typical, and God bless Mike and Mary for being able to allow you to use their story, but describe Mike and Mary's battle in the empty nest.
3: Right, well, it's actually... I changed the names yeah, to, of course. you know, whatever, but, uh, I know these people very, very well. And what I realized with, uh, with the conversation was that Mike was really mad at Mary <laughs> because he said, she's not getting through this. And she, all we sit and all we talk about is, you know, the kids and their, and his kids raised in the church, raised at our church, actually, um, beautiful people, but we they were having the party scene and, yeah. you know, they really had fled the, you know, the, their some of the values of, right. their, of Mike and Mary. And they now were were having conflict because Mary couldn't get past it. And she really was kind of almost becoming a one-topic conversationalist. And Mike's going, this is not fair because I thought it was going to be great. I thought we were going to run around the house and it was going to be all romantic and all this. And, you know, that's not happening. And so what happened was is there were some things Mike could do to kind of help Mary along. But Mary had to make some decisions as well in terms of when – When your kids leave the empty nest, you've got to leave that too. So what Mary had to do was relinquish her old job description and create the new job description. One of the things that Mike and Mary, and this Mm -hmm. is not from the book because this has been learned later because I know these people well. But they said, you know, we had to learn to play again and to have fun because we didn't really have a lot of fun together. We had fun with our kids, but we didn't have fun connecting together. And so, you know, they started having more fun and that's the bottom line so i'm glad they were able to find a way to do yeah. that you also talk about the big five yes
2: and you know we're going to zero in here we only have a couple of minutes left yeah. but let's hit the big five
3: with some description what are they and how yeah. does it help people? yeah well this is with your kids and uh, the and the big five is you know truly i said it before but have you given your child the passport to adulthood because if you haven't it's not going to go well yeah. <laughs> and and they're they want freedom but you've got to give them the passport to, to adulthood. What does that sound like? I mean, what are you saying? It, it says, you're now in charge of your life. I'm coming alongside you. You're moving from that being in control. And when they're teenagers, you're only in semi-control anyway. You just, let's face it, you may think you're in culture yeah. control, but you're not. But now, moving the relationship to more of a mentoring, caring relationship. Yeah. So I'm giving them, they're adults, and I need to have a relationship with them as an adult. So that's yeah. that passport. Um, you're fired as a day-to-day parent and accept that and, you know, move on. Your role has to change. That's a brilliant point. I mean, it's a little jarring for
2: some people to hear that. Well, it's it's your role You're fired? What? Yeah. I'm still their parent.
3: (laughs) But you need to reorient the relationship. And then, and then quickly, you know, and this could be the biggie. You know, do you want it more than they want it? So we've talked around this, but today I see so many parents of adult children who are saying, my, my kids aren't, we, we grew up in the church and they went to Christian school and they were active in youth group and now they don't believe or they're not following the Lord. They're violating values They're straying from faith. And what I say to people is you can't want it more than they want it. I said to a woman two nights ago, I was, I was speaking on doing life with your adult children and her daughter had moved in with a boyfriend. And I said, does she know what you believe? Yes. Does she know how you feel? Yes. Then broaden the relationship with her because you can't shun her because that's not going to work and you can't dump all of your anger. And frankly, you can't want it more than they're going to want it. But when she crashes, and I have no doubt that this girl is going to crash, when she crashes, you want to be that safe person. So it's that fine line, and we could talk about this all day, but it's that fine line of your heart is broken. But what I'm saying is they can't show that as much to their kid. They can show, please don't think that I'm saying ignore all that. But what I am saying is those kids have to sometimes learn from experience. Those yeah. kids have to uh, you know, experience the pain. And, and it's tough love. Tough love is allowing your children to experience their poor choices. It's not being mean or shunning. It's It's allowing them to experience the poor choices. And you know what the bottom line is on this, you guys? They still ask the question, do you still love me? Even they, if? Yes. Even yeah. when they're violating. What they yeah. want to know is, do their parents, do you still love me? Yeah. Well, in fact, you had that experience with your daughter. This yeah. is where we'll end.
2: In the book, you talk yeah. about she came home and she had you know, something done to her, a piercing, I believe, <laughs> right. through her nose, if <laughs> right. I remember correctly, exactly. which you didn't
3: appreciate. But yeah. you managed that right. differently than you wanted to explain right. it. Well, you know, she comes home from college. And a lot of times in college, they they do. She's at a Christian college. She comes home from college and she has this ring. And I'm not saying it's a little cute little diamond thing. It's this, you know, this hoop in her nose. And uh, basically what I realized the hoop was, was saying, are you still going to love me if I look at life a little differently? And so um, I didn't say that is the cutest piece (laughs) of jewelry I've ever seen, but you know, I, I decided to. that wasn't the issue for me. I wasn't going to battle that. Funny enough, you know, she went and got her master's in clinical psych, and she's counseling. Guess who loves her? Every teenage girl who has a hoop in their nose because she still has the hoop. Yeah. And uh, it's funny. Even her at a Christian uh, therapy, you know, clinic, they're saying, are you sure you want that ring? And then the head guy goes, wait, all the girls want her because she has this this ring. She identifies Yeah. With now her. I'm used to it. Sure. I even forget that she has the hoop. Yeah. Um, life goes on. And I'm glad... I didn't say you are worthless and your values are so different because it's it's a hoop in your nose. It's not the end of life, and she's making great decisions on so many other things.
2: <laughs> it's sometimes hard for us as parents to uh, buy into, but I get so it. Hard. And John, maybe you might want to. I'm put just going to be quiet nose. right here. About I'm passing. That, yeah, but uh, Jim, this has been great. We've covered a lot of territory, we did. and we really only covered about half of what yeah. I wanted to cover yeah. today. So. Let's come back next time and and keep the conversation going, if you're willing. Great. And uh, we'll get to it. I hope this content is really meeting that need in your heart and you're going, wow, I so identify with this. And if that's where you're at, either on YouTube or radio or you're listening through your smartphone via the Focus app, that's awesome. Now, let's get the book into your hands. And we can do that in a fun way, I think, if you can make a gift to Focus for any amount, uh, to support the ministry, be part of it. I mean, it's that financial support in your prayers that ends up helping another life. So you're kind of paying it forward. So uh, call us or get in touch with us and uh, order the book and make a gift of any amount. We'll send it to you as our way of saying thank you. And if you could do that on a monthly basis, even better $10, $15. Uh, it's how Gene and I uh, support the ministry. And I think you and Dina do, you do it as, as well. well. Right. I'm always checking to make sure John's still doing it that way.
0: Yeah, I even changed to the <laughs> new credit card, Jim. Yeah,
2: I even up my amounts. Yes. So, I mean, that's all good. But it's such a way to even out the cash
0: flow for Focus so we can budget properly. Yeah. So consider it. And if you can do it, do it. Yeah, join the support team today as you can. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459. Or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast for all the details. And on behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, thanks for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller inviting you back as we continue the conversation with Jim Burns and once again, help you and your family thrive in Christ. to Focus on the Family's weekend broadcast. We'll take a quick break and then return with the second half of this program for your family. Stay tuned.
1: Did you know nearly 60% of American adults don't have a will in place? That's a big number. And not having a will can leave a heavy burden for family left behind. If you need a will but don't know where to begin, let Focus on the Family help. Download our resource, 15 Questions to Ask When Preparing a Will. It's our gift to you at FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Will. That's FocusOnTheFamily.com slash Will.
3: You know, what I found in the empty nest when my kids started, you know, moving out here is that it, it did get more quiet and I didn't have as much responsibility. <laughs> right. And so I could actually say slowly, what could I do here? But what's excessive that I was doing a lot with our kids and now I don't have to do as much.
0: That's Jim Burns talking about uh, the phase of life that we call empty nesting. Joys and challenges abound. Uh, Jim is with us again on Focus on the Family, and we're so glad you've joined us. I'm John Fuller, and your host is Focus president and author, Jim Daly.
2: Well, it's great to have Jim back. We did have a, a wonderful discussion last time, and really, it flew by. You always know that it's going well when you look up and the time's gone. Yeah. So if you missed last time, certainly uh, you know find a way through the website or the smartphone download to get the app, and you can hear not only yesterday's program, but the whole library of programs. Um, we did talk about the pain and the uh, emotional experience of that uh, empty nest beginning. And John, you talked about how you're in that phase now. We I'm are. halfway there. Trent's mm-hmm. out. Troy's still at the house. but uh, And I love that, actually. I'm, I'm still uh, lingering in that space where I know Troy's there. We can have dinner together and, and have good chit-chats together. But that day is soon when he'll be gone. And wow, it's, it's going to be a different household. So this is really good stuff. It's actually a therapy session for me. <laughs> so you can listen in. But uh, I'm looking forward to coming back to more content.
0: Yeah, and Jim is uh, the president of Homeward. Uh, They seek to help families thrive. Uh, Very similar uh, value alignment for us here with Jim and and Homeward. Uh, He and his wife Kathy have three girls who have all left the nest and uh, love the passion and the heart and stories he has to share. He's captured so much of, of this kind of a season of life in the book Finding Joy in the Empty Nest, Discover Purpose and Passion in the Next Phase of Life. And we've got copies of that book here at the ministry. Stop by com slash broadcast or call us 800-the letter A in the word family.
2: Jim, great to have you back. So good to be with you. Keeping this going. You're helping me immensely. (laughs) (laughs) You know, one of the things I didn't get to last time, and I wanted to, so I'll kick it off here. Uh, You mentioned, you know, taking uh, small steps in the right direction. That's great life advice, no matter what your age or stage. But in this case, you created an acronym called Mm Cia, and I Mm -hmm. thought it was great. Again, you know... Parents with young kids could benefit from the sure. same acronym. Yeah. But what is
3: CIA? Uh, what well, does it stand for? Uh, it stands for something that's important in the empty nest is we have to declutter. And we get a chance to declutter. Now, again, if even we're- the garage. Even the garage. Now, this is what you think of when you think of declutter, you think of garage. Right now, Kathy has me on a, a T-shirt restriction. She said, I have three drawers of T-shirts, and I have a certain date, and I need to go to two. And I'm going, but they have holes, but they're meaningful mm-hmm. to me. Mm-hmm. I've know? got
2: like 30 In-N-Out burger T-shirts. Okay.
3: See, well, <laughs> My <you're> mother-in-law
2: gonna... <laughs> gave them to me at Christmas, like three or four at a time. You're going
3: to have to declutter. <laughs> but I think it's the perfect time to declutter. Because again, when you when you move to the empty nest... You, you have different directions. You have, uh, you have some things that you've just been holding on to, and it's time to let it go. So I call it, you know, see ya. And, and first of all, the S stands for what sucks your energy. And, you know, there are things that just suck my energy that I don't have to do. You know, Peter Drucker, the great management guru, but he says, first things first, last things, not at all. And so there's some things that that were last things in my life. I wish I could say I've done this really well, but my garage is in deep need. And my wife reminds me of that. But when it comes to other things, even personal life, what's sucking your energy? And do you still need to be doing that? I know somebody who went off of two boards and, you know, I'm, I'm sad for the board people, but he said, you know what? I'm going off of these two boards because my interest is now in doing missions work in Nepal. This is a, a lay person. Wow. And he said, I'm going to put my energy into that. Well, yeah. good for him. He he decluttered some things. It was time for somebody else. The other is what's just excessive in your life. Are there some things, you know, in the C uh, model, are there some things that are just, you know, excessive? Are you, are you doing too much of this? Or are you doing too much of that? You know, what I found in the empty nest when my kids started, you know, moving out here is that it, it did get more quiet and I didn't have as much responsibility. <laughs> right. And so I could actually say slowly, what could I do here? But what's excessive that I was doing a lot with our kids and now I don't have to do as much. You know, um, let me let me give you an example I think that fits here. Yeah. One thing
2: I so appreciate about Gene now, we're reading the word and praying together yeah. every morning yeah. because we can yeah. start
3: with that yeah. pace. There's yeah. capacity and time to do that. Well, you just, you gave it. Right there, because that's what we 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 want to do. That I I would say that most, especially women, but men too, most want to be spiritually intimate. It's probably the least developed area of intimacy. But in the empty nest, why not take some of the time you're working with the kids and and pray together and, and read the scripture together? Yeah, it's more good. of that. Kathy and I are much more heavily involved in that aspect right now in our life. And I'm glad we we did that. But yeah. to do that, there were some other excessive things that we had to kind of let go. Right. I don't want to call my kids excessive, but you know, <laughs> there was this freedom a little
2: bit. Yeah, without a doubt. Moving through the C acronym, then you got the S, the first E. What's the second? E? Uh, emotionally draining. Now these seem kind of like duh. But, I know, but
3: there is a weird
2: thing in humanity that we oh. do not recognize what sucks our energy, no, no. and we keep
3: doing it. Oh, I do that all the time. I mean, it's uh, you know, it's it's the definition of insanity. You're doing the same thing over and over again, think yeah going to be different now. So emotional draining, what was your example there? Yeah. Well, for me, what was emotionally draining was that actually I was involved in a couple of outside activities that were kind of just taken the emotion from. I wasn't enjoying them. Mm. And I kind of didn't need to be doing it. My kids were gone. I was still involved in some of their activities, because they really, the people said, well, they needed me or wanted me, but it was it was becoming emotionally draining. The other thing that happened for us on Emotionally Draining was that we had been with what I call VDPs, some very draining people. Very and I, draining people, yeah, the VDPs. Yeah, you're not one, Jim, of <laughs> me. But there are, I, thank there you. There are VIPs, very inspiring people. And so what I had to do was replace... Some emotionally draining relationships. No, I'm wow. not saying you know. It's not like you can say mother-in-law bye. You know, so there <laughs> are going to be funny. very draining people. Not that all mother-in-laws are very draining, but <laughs> but honestly, there are things in our life that are emotionally draining. Yeah. Um, one for Kathy and I had to do with finances, and we moved how we did our finances just because it was it was being emotionally draining for us. It was bugging us, yeah. and so we just changed the way we did it and got some help from somebody, and it was. It was great, yeah. And it's not like we all of a sudden hired, you know, out and all that. But it was just it, it was a it was a good way to do it. And then the the why and yeah, yeah. see ya. yeah 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 uh, you know I'm an old time youth worker so that's where it gets the see yeah you know? <laughs> but the uh, the the this why be graded is, on grammar yeah the why <laughs> is you know what you don't love or need anymore. And that could be as easy as I had like, you know, 29 Hawaiian shirts that I never wore anymore. And I gave them to my brother, which is hilarious. And, and he wears them? He loves these, yeah. So one one man's... That was a dirty trick. Yeah. One, you know, one man's uh, draining, if you would, or something I didn't love anymore is now, you know, he, the, he just thinks I'm the greatest. I, I'm his number one brother right now because of that, I think. But, you know, there's certain... So there's simple things, but there's also those things. You know, I, I just don't need to be doing this anymore. Yeah. And so part of it is that declutter. And part of it is some of the responsibilities that we've kind of carried along. Sometimes it is, you know, the garage or or things like that, but sometimes it's activities, you know, it's, it's lots of things, whatever that comes to your mind. Well, I do appreciate that. I mean, what you're saying is filled this
2: time that you've been giving to the kids, obviously they're now boom out of the house and do some things that help get your life a little more organized. It, It brings you peace that a, I would think might be the Hawaiian print, Location the, where the anno- it's annoying
3: eyesore. annoying eyesore. It was an annoying eyesore for me. I just didn't want Kathy. When I made this up, I said, "Kathy, I'm not your annoying eyesore." Am I? wow, <laughs> because I didn't want her to think that I was. You actually annoying. laid that out there. That was dangerous. I know it was. She and could have said yes. No, she gave. I was looking for. I was looking for something positive, and she gave it to me. But in terms of the annoying eyesore, sometimes honestly, we we changed our backyard to make it more friendly for when our kids come back. Oh, with the kids. Exactly. So we sort of moved that. Now, that sounds so easy. but that was that was more difficult but you know what's kind of cool is Kathy and I changed it together also you, you mentioned there
2: another benefit uh you can move forward with things that you've had on the back burner yeah that's a good
3: one I I think I need to spend a little time going okay what's on the back burner I yeah. think I forgot yeah yeah <laughs> so. but you know I think a lot of times people will do it like the, I see a lot of men will say hey you know what I played golf when I was younger and now I play I can play some golf and so I'm taking some time taking actually Thursday afternoons off and you know going and playing golf or whatever it is for me I started going back to the gym. You know, just basic stuff yeah. like that. I know some. a lot of men also tell me, I'll get to the women, but a lot of men tell me that they end up joining a men's group at their church and they felt they were too busy or too constrained with other things. And so they they joined this and they just went, wow, this is really good. They always announce it at church, but I never could go. Now I'm going. So, they, so in a great way, they were doing that. I think women lean into more friendships and Bible study and things like that from within ones who are in the church. The ones who aren't in the church, you know, you find them, you know, being more involved in, you know, activities and clubs. And, and we, when I started interviewing women, especially in the empty nest, a lot of them started doing some volunteer work. Mm-hmm. And that was, and they go, we've always wanted to do that. It was on the back burner. I just couldn't get to it. Yeah. Uh, you mentioned that you you struggled with being
2: open and vulnerable with mm-hmm. others when you were younger. That's kind of interesting. Have you found uh being a yeah. mentor opening up to others yeah. a little easier in the empty nest well, phase and why?
3: Well, what where I for me it was partly empty nest phase, but it was, you know, I chose 21 years ago to jump into a small group mm-hmm. of men. And at first we talked about politics and sports. That's what us men do. And then one time, and we would we would open up a Bible and talk about Bible, but you know, it was not ever vulnerable. One day, one of the guys said, hey, I'm struggling my marriage. And when he said that, we all jumped in, and then we opened up our kimonos and started talking. So for 21 years, I've been in a group who of men who, if I said I'm in trouble, they would come my way. And if they said they were in trouble, I would go their yeah. way. Now, we fly fish once a year. and We do some fun things and stuff like that. But what has happened is that taught me to be more open. There was a scripture that said that's in James that says, you know, when you confess your sins, you will be healed. And I kind of went, I don't want to confess my sins to people because then they won't like me or they'll look down on me. And I found that in me learning to be more vulnerable, and I think this group helped me, but in learning to be more vulnerable, nobody was going slapping me on the face and saying, what a louse you are. They actually embrace that. And even as a communicator, I oftentimes speak out of our own failures and and, and issues with our parenting or marriage, and I don't have people saying, I'm not going to listen to this guy. Right. I have people going, oh, now, I, okay, we're he's good. He's one of us. And so I've learned that by confessing my sins, and you know, there's a confession that's a deep confession that you confess deeply to God, but there's also a confessing of your vulnerabilities and, and sins, means missing the mark, where I... I f- have felt healed. Mm. These men have healed me. I'm a better husband. I'm a better follower of Christ. I'm a better um, dad because these men have helped me be healed with some of the things that I brought to them. That is that is so good
2: mm-hmm. and worth uh, you know highlighting that yeah. for men and women, yeah. uh, finding a small group of people that right. you can trust in that way right. is incredibly important yeah. I, to I, your you know, well-being. I think it's easier for women you know Kathy I, teaches I think this, they naturally yeah, lean yeah, that way yeah. but I I would assume not every woman No 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 no, no not so every woman Men and women that are more loner in yeah. their temperament that can be a little more difficult It is it's lonely it's But lonely. it's a it's a it's a
3: good healthy perspective The ones who aren't the empty nest is very
0: lonely This focus on the family broadcast will continue in just a moment
1: Marriage podcasts usually go one of two ways Relatable, but not helpful, or helpful, but totally unrelatable to your marriage. The Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage podcast has all the, whoa, that's me, marriage stories, and wow, I never knew that, clinical wisdom to help your marriage thrive. Crazy Little Thing Called Marriage will be your favorite listen of your week. An amazing marriage is possible. It begins with you. Listen at crazylittlethingcalledmarriage.com.
0: Thanks for listening to Focus on the Family. Let's resume now with the balance of today's programming. Jim, let's...
2: Move toward the grandparenting phase because mm-hmm. that's interesting. That's I'm not right. there yet, yeah. and uh, you're not there uh, yet. I'm either. Not there okay, yet. good. Yeah. So you have the experience. Oh, you I have the grandkids. Her. The now, one of the funniest sayings I've ever heard is that grandparents and gran- grandkids have a common enemy. <laughs> <laughs> and I just love that because it's so true. <laughs> so true. And I hear all the battles yeah. about the grandkids yeah. coming over, and I sugared them up, and my adult daughter was not happy with me, right. and it created friction. And right. you know, fill in the blank with right. what that might be. But it is a an incredible rewarding time. And I think, you know, this is where Gene and I say, you know, talk about having a do-over as a parent. Right. You, you kind of get that chance as yeah. a grandparent. Yeah. And uh, it's such a reward. and can right. be such a rewarding time right. if the friction is low with your adult
3: children. Right, right. Well, and, and many people have friction with their adult children, let's mm-hmm. face it, and that makes it harder. But truly, what you're saying, and I think you and Gene will be amazing grandparents, for Kathy and I, we realized this may be our greatest legacy. Didn't know yeah. that, didn't see that coming. Yeah. Even like we have a James who's named after me, seven. We've read through the Bible three times, the children's Bible, three times. It's a big, thick Bible. Hmm. Well, you know what? I didn't do that for my kids. I mean, I read the sure. Bible to them. We did certain things. But with this kid, I went, James, we're doing this right now. And so, you know, we, we do that. We look at a Bible app that's really, you know, kid app, that's kid friendly. Um, so the, leg- the even the spiritual legacy, um, I found myself the other day. Huxley, who's two, he shows. Huxley. Huxley. I, love that. I love this name, right? <laughs> and so Huxley shows up with his mom Heidi, and they were going to stay overnight. But Kathy and Heidi were off to an exercise class, and so I get Huxley, and I was on the floor with this two-year-old playing with blocks for an hour and a half. But you know what? That meant so much to me. Oh yeah. But it mean when when those grandkids come a running, I yeah. sometimes pick up James or Charlotte. She's five. And uh, they'll pick, I'll pick them up at preschool or at school and they'll just go, Papa Jay. Papa Jay. You know, my, my kids, I guess maybe did that, but the feeling, I call yeah. it a love affair between generations. Yeah. Mm-hmm. We had a funny experience with Charlotte. We took her last week to her, it was her five-year-old birthday and Kathy and I took her to the performing arts center and we took her to her first play frozen and, uh, it was beautiful. We went out at 8:30 that night before and bought her a Frozen dress and we were so glad we did because there were 1500 other girls with Frozen a dresses. A Frozen dress? Frozen. It had the picture of Elsa and what else? You oh, got boys. Old. Frozen. 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 Yeah, so frozen. I got
2: Man, that would be cold. Yeah, no, no, no. no.
3: <laughs> it's so, the latest. Jim. No, it is <laughs> yeah. the it's, it's That was an obvious it's thing crazy right latest. There. But I it was funny hat. because we're going there and we're just talking and she's chatting it up and then she goes, "So my mommy is bugging me." Now, this is our daughter, she said this about. And we Instead of being sensitive, we start laughing, going, yeah, well, she bugged us all through high school. You guys are (laughs) (laughs) commensurating a similar character trait. But what we realized afterwards, I said, you know, when she said her mommy was bugging her and it was about something silly, um, we went, wow, she's going to share with us stuff. Are we going to be those people who are going to help her? navigate that because we didn't have that we couldn't go to we couldn't go to our parents and we didn't go to grandparents and things like that but can we be those grandparents who are fully involved Mm. and fully having a a ministry to these kids without you know taking the play you know i love the common you know the common enemy is the parent but our job is to support my kids and so we say what night do you want now these are not You know, these are kids who live in our area, but what night do you want to be on? Do your date night. We'll take the kids, those kinds of things. So we want to be the greatest cheerleaders to our adult kids with our, you know, for our grandchildren too. And it's a joy to do it. Even though, you know, one woman said, she said, you know, after I had my kids for the, or my grandkids for the weekend, uh, they think I'm the oldest person in the world. And after having them for a weekend, I think my kids are right because you're tired, but you also get the joy of handing them back. (laughs) Right.
2: It's so true. Let me, let me, uh, you know, for the grandparents that maybe aren't experiencing yes. a great yes. situation, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of this is left over from when you were the parent and yes. you're raising your kids and then they get married and now they have the grandkids. And some of those controlling factors that right. we talked about last time right. are going to seep into this yes. relationship yes. if you don't bite your tongue back up. Yeah let your adult children be the parent right so what advice do you have for the the grandparents that are struggling there because right. there's I'm sure a dozen or more reasons what yeah. what's going on but yeah. you've counseled people no right
3: and, and no easy answer on so it's. what's the what's the
2: general redirect yeah. you yeah. can give to the grandparent where it's not
3: healthy no no easy answer because as a grandparent you want to do the same thing you did with your adult kids and tell your adult kids where they're wrong on this or right and and you just can't you simply can't so again i think you'd be their cheerleader not necessarily their coach um unless they ask you to be their coach and you be their cheerleader and then sometimes you have to realize that you are in the process of a marathon so in those first couple of years i was talking with a woman two nights ago about this she she was telling me that her daughter doesn't allow her to bring her kids to church because, and she raised her daughter in, in, uh, you know, the faith, but the grandkids, she wants to watch watches grandkids and she's not allowed to do that. And and I said, you know what, keep praying. She goes, should I just take them to church anyway? And I said, I wouldn't, because I said, this is a long, a long-term relationship. And so have church, you know, make up church if, if your daughter allows us. And if she doesn't just keep it slow, let them know where you stand. Maybe there'll be a time when the kids who are little will be in middle school and you get to get them to church camp or something that's just on the side of that. Yeah, let me let me ask you this in that context. We it, of course we haven't
2: dealt with that, but we have yeah. friends who have dealt with that. And uh, is there benefit to trying to sit with your adult kids and just talking that through? Yeah. Kind of adult to adult, yeah, no, you know. Think, here, here's what I think might be the benefits yeah. for little Sally right, or right. little no, Johnny. No, I think it, I, I do.
3: And now, you know, have some discussion about it. At least you get that going. But I think what you say is, hey, let's sit down and talk about this. We will do what you want to do. You are the parent, so please right. know that that's giving the passport to adulthood. Right. That's which good. we talked about in the previous broadcast. But. You say, hey, we will do what you want to do, but we want to get some context and understanding. You know, like we'd like to read them Bible stories. They're fun. There's a new app that's cool. Um, We'd like to take them to church, to the Sunday school. They're going to see it as fun, but we want want your blessing. And if we don't have your blessing, then we're going to actually not do that. Hmm. That puts them now, not a tit for tat, but it puts the parents in a place where the parents might actually... They came thinking, "Well, oh, I'm not going to let my kids go to church." You know, that's crazy. And now they're going, "Well, yeah, you can take them to church because, again, the parent respected their adult child." Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. It and sends when a you message. do that, yeah. and and over the long haul, what I mean, think about this: the amount of kids. And I was in youth ministry, and they would say, I had this praying grandma. I had a praying oh, yeah. grandpa. Very And so, so the point being is that over the long haul, you're still going to influence them. And those kids know that you're a Christian. Those kids know that you love Jesus. And those kids know that you go to church. And so if you, and literally, if the church, if it's a nine o'clock service and you have the kids at nine o'clock, then you figure out another service to go to or whatever if yeah. the parents aren't going to. But, but bless the parents by giving them the authority in this, even though you're dying on the inside. Right. And it's such good advice, but difficult. Yeah. But I would back
2: you up and say, yeah, yeah. that's the yeah. right way to yeah. go. Um, right at the end here, we're going to talk about finishing well. That mm-hmm. kind of touches on it. But, you know, one of the things is, yeah, how do you want to be remembered? Yeah. And what do you want mm-hmm. them to say about you? Right. I've, I've just been to two or three funerals in the last couple of months that has really come across to me you know i uh, and one of them it was a colleague here he they talked about his professional uh, accomplishments it was really good but the the stars of the funeral were the oldest and youngest granddaughters and it was awesome and they just stole the platform yeah uh and these other speakers were national speakers uh you know they spoke very eloquently But these two granddaughters, it was just so beautiful. What I remember about grandpa was he was always there for me. When I was 19, I called and I was in trouble. And he drove overnight to get me and bring me to their house. I mean, these are the things that make family real. And I think in that context, Jim, this is the point I want you to reiterate for me. That's what matters, what those
3: grandkids and your adult children feel from you. And hopefully, it's the love of Christ. You know, exactly. Even when, when people die when people do research on this, whether they be Christian or not, they have two things. One is they want a right relationship with God. I think it's so interesting, that end they do. And number two, they want a right relationship with their loved ones. Yeah. So if we're going to have a life well-lived and we're going to finish well, it's time for us to put our energy into our relationship with God and our relationship with our loved one. Well, and back to the point you made a moment ago,
2: that may be the only mm-hmm. deep love they ever experience yes. is from a grandparent. Yes. I mean, not to take it away from the parents, right. but... Parenting is different from grandparenting. It, it is. You can
3: love unfailing and unconditionally easier. Correct. Because you don't own it. Right. You and, give them you know, back at the end of the day. Right. And I don't you know, when I understand when I begin to understand God's love, I was reading through the Bible last year and I just circled every time I saw the word unfailing, unfailing love. Oh my gosh, so much. Well, a grandparent can have that in an easier way than sometimes even the parents, because you gotta you gotta discipline them too. Yeah. Jim, I wanna end here because I think it's really important,
2: and that is the jokes that we make about older older people being mm-hmm. curmudgeons. And mm-hmm. I I don't you can be a Christian and be a curmudgeon. Right. It's not a right. faith thing. You shouldn't be, right. but oftentimes we are as we get older. A lot of people, a lot of psychologists will say it's because um, you know, we're envious of younger people and they yeah. get to live their life now. And yeah. it's like youth is wasted on young people. Right, right. But the idea that, boy, we should be the, the epitome of joy, the epitome of love. The, we, we now are at the end of our lives. We've had a whole lifetime maybe yeah. following Christ, learning the way of the Lord. Right. We should be at the top of our game. Right. And so often we're not, we're bitter. We don't like the neighbor because they left trash on the curb. I mean, whatever, fill it in. How do we uh, reorient ourselves if we're living in that curmudgeon mentality, Mm -hmm. especially us men? We can get really bitter for some reason. What do we do to shake
3: that horrible stuff off of us and and live for Christ? Yeah. Well, I have a lot of ideas, and we could talk about that for a long time, but I would just simply say that um, you're exactly right. At the end of our life... What we want to do is be people who are grateful and thankful people, be people who who really literally practice what I call thank therapy. Thank therapy means you you can gripe about anything, but you can also find reasons to be thankful. And I find that people who are grateful, thankful people – um, in the empty nest are people who are those beautiful people that you're talking about. And I find that people who, are, who get bitter are people who aren't focusing on reasons why they're thankful. we got a lot of, I mean, it's a crazy culture. It's a crazy world. We can get all busted up about that. But we can also be people who say, "Thank I, I'm grateful for what God has done in my life. I'm grateful for my family. I'm, and just start naming why we're grateful. And it's the simple things. And in that, I don't think you can be a curmudgeon then. I agree.
2: I agree. But what a great target to aim for. Mm-hmm. Don't be a curmudgeon and <laughs> you know, be spirit-filled. Yeah. I mean, that's the goal. Yes. And don't we want to go into heaven with that kind of understanding and maturity spiritually? And mm-hmm. what a beautiful way to depart. And it'll be much
3: better for those who love you to remember you that way. Absolutely. And you bless your family at the end. My mom did that. She The last words my mom said to me, Jimmy, I love you and I'm proud of you. And she died. Wow. <laughs> so I have this... Blessing from my mom, I tear up thinking about it. But I have this blessing from my mom because she wasn't a curmudgeon because she could yeah. have been going, man, you know, do this or do that or, or so focused on her own medical pain and and whatnot. But instead, she was blessing us at the end. Well, I live with that blessing. Mm. And it's the same blessing that God gives us.
2: Well, yeah, what a great reminder, Jim. What a great resource, finding joy in the empty nest. And uh, I want to make sure you guys can get a hold of it. So get a hold of Focus on the Family. If you can, join us in ministry and uh, make a gift of any amount. If you can be a monthly sustainer, that's wonderful. That helps us even out the budget for the year. And uh, we'll send you a copy of Jim's book as our way of saying thank you for joining us in ministry, either monthly or a one-time gift.
0: Yeah, donate as you can when you get in touch, and uh, request a copy of Jim Burns' book, Finding Joy in the Empty Nest. Our number is 800, the letter A in the word family, 800-232-6459, or stop by focusonthefamily.com slash broadcast. Jim, again, thanks
2: for being with us. I think you're making a great grandpa. And you're a wonderful well, father. Thank you. Well, thank you for
3: what you do at Focus on the Family, yeah. changing lives every day, bringing hope. So grateful for you. And I do pray
0: for you often. Thank you, Jim. And thank you for joining us today for Focus on the Family. I'm John Fuller. On behalf of Jim Daly and the entire team, uh, join us again, won't you, as we once again help you and your family thrive in Christ.